Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, this is Megan, and welcome to Genealogy Explorer, where we dive into the family history of listeners just like you. Today, I'm here with Joseph Quaterer, the founder and CEO of StorySaver, a company dedicated to preserving legacies through professional biography writing. He is here to share a little bit about StorySaver and to share some amazing real-life case studies showcasing the impact of discovering remarkable family histories. Thanks so much for joining me, Joseph. You're welcome, Megan. I'm happy to happy to be here today. Fantastic. So can you tell us a little bit about StorySaver and how it came to be? Yeah, sure. So StorySaver is a biography writing services company. Essentially, we connect people with professional writers who artfully capture stories, uh, combine with photos and create beautiful keepsake books. Um, I like to say that we are democratizing the biography writing process. Mm -hmm. Um, Historically, you needed to be rich or famous. You need to be like a Rockefeller or uh, something along those lines, to have a professional capture your story and have it shared with your progeny. And we're making it so that it's affordable to, you know, ordinary people that want to capture their stories for their family. Um, presently, as of today, we have 74 professional writers. Wow. Um, there's Yeah. There's um, 62 in the United States, seven in Europe, scattered around Europe, and then five in Australia. Oh, wow. And All over people the world. Are, yeah. And people are always like, you know, Australia, like, really? Like, that sort of seems random. And after the United States, Australia is the second biggest market for biography writing services. That's why we have a footprint there. So yeah, I would not have thought that. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. And so of those 74 writers, you know, Megan, if you can think of a large national newspaper or magazine, chances are that one of my writers has written for it. So, wow. Um, you know, the New York Times, the New Yorker, CNN, Forbes, Rolling Stone, The Atlantic, and on and on and on. So, again, what we're allowing people to do is, at affordable rates, to work with these professionals to capture their stories. Um, to answer your other question about how it came to be, it's it's an interesting story, at least I think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I always tell people that my life was kind of split between my profession and my passion. So my profession was always finance. Uh, so I have a BA in finance from Notre Dame, uh, an MBA in finance and strategy from NYU. And I spent 17 years as a banker on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Um, very wow. different than what I'm doing now. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Whenever people hear that, they're like, wow, I don't really see you as a banker. But, um, <laughs> you know, but my passion was always writing. And so when I was a little kid, I wrote, I started writing short stories and I wrote poetry, novellas. Um, after college, this is obviously while I was still a banker, I wrote novels. And after my third novel, I realized that I wanted something different. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. want to just invent stories in my head. I wanted to interview real people and share their stories with others. And so that's what I did. I started a blog where I literally, Megan, have you heard of, um, Humans of New York. I have. I love yeah. Humans of New York. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So <laughs> whenever I say this, people say, "Is that you?" And I say, "No, that that's Brandon Stan, and he's he's a legend." Yes, he um, is. <laughs> so, um, funny enough, I had 
a blog that I launched maybe in 2013, so a couple of years after Brandon Stan. And it basically is exactly what Humans of New York is. And I didn't mm-hmm. know, it's funny because I launched it, I had no idea that Humans of New York even existed. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so it's very similar to Humans of New York, where I would literally approach people in the streets of New York City on the street, everyone from homeless people to men in three-piece suits. I would interview them and share their stories with my audience. And so I interviewed um, an older man who was part of General Patton's Red Ball Express, which was a truck convoy system that supplied the Allied forces moving through Europe after breaking through on mm-hmm. D-Day. Um, a man from New Zealand who overcame cerebral palsy to become a world-famous inspirational TED Talk speaker. Um, a blind Syrian who I met um, on the Upper East Side of Manhattan mm-hmm. who moved to the United States without speaking any English and lived on the streets of Los Angeles and New York City while pursuing his dream to go to Harvard. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, so I met a lot of <laughs> I met a lot of really fascinating people. And with each story I wrote, the website gained more followers. And ultimately, like my stories were read about one and a half million times. And through this process, I learned that everyone has a story to tell, but not everyone is the storyteller. I also realized that what I was doing, um, writing, interviewing people and sharing their stories with others was journalism. So I applied to Columbia Journalism School in 2018. I never thought in a million years I would get in. Mm -hmm. I remember at the information session, I was interviewing, I was speaking with other candidates for the Columbia Journalism School. A lot of them were saying, oh, well, I've interviewed heads of state and, you know, prime minister. And I said, oh, gosh, well, like most of my time is spent interviewing you know, homeless people on, on the weekends, right? So I didn't right. think that I was of the caliber to get into Columbia Journalism School. Um, but much to my surprise, I was accepted. And then if you fast forward to 2020, so that was 2018, 2021. Um, in July of 2021, I resigned from corporate America. Mm-hmm. And in August of that year, I graduated from Columbia Journalism School. In November of 2021, I founded the Story Saver. And... Um, we actually just had our six, our, our two-year anniversary six days ago. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah. So um, that is about my company, and, and, and that's how it came to be. Um, and one, one last thing I'll mention is, because I guess I didn't exactly explain how it came to be, is I was having dinner with a friend, and he had read my books, and he knew of my business background, and he told me his family had just hired a company to record his family's transition from India to America. And I realized that there's a cottage industry around this, you know, writing people's biographies and memoirs. And I felt with my business background and my narrative writing background that I was uniquely suited to start the company. Mm-hmm. So that's wow. what I did. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. Well, I see, I'm so deeply fascinated with that because you're totally right. Like people like have these amazing stories to tell. They have like these ancestors and these like, because I, I, my great grandmother, she would tell me all these stories and I desperately wanted to like have that written down and never got the chance to because she passed away last year. Uh, But, you know, you're right because a lot of people back in the day didn't have the means to like show those stories professionally or in a way where it was easily accessible to people around them. It, It was always by mouth or it was always like ear to ear like kind of people just talking to each other but that is amazing that is fascinating that uh turning into like and they're all like real life stories right they're all real life stories and you know you know what's interesting megan is that as a society 
And as a world, we've never been more connected. Mm-hmm. The internet, social media. Oh, absolutely. And I don't think we've ever been more disconnected. That is also right? true, yes. You know, we've never been more connected. We've never been more disconnected. And historically, like you mentioned, was it? did you say your grandmother or your great-grandmother? My great-grandmother. Your great-grandmother. Wow, incredible. Um, like your great-grandmother passed and you never captured those stories. And why I brought up the being connected but disconnected thing is, you know, historically, you might have letters, actual analog photos from your grandmother, yes. correspondences, postcards, things like that, like physical mementos that are passed through the generations. We don't really have that anymore. You know, even our photos are, are on the cloud or we don't, you know, nobody's like capturing text messages or emails and whatnot. Right. So even though we're increasingly connected, we are at the same time less connected with not only people around us, but with our ancestors. Right. We're missing the kind of that physical aspect. Everything's digital now. We're missing a physical aspect. And, you know, it's funny. A lot of people will say, well, you know, the concept of like writing books seems very antiquated. Like, why would you write books? Like, why wouldn't you, you know, record YouTube videos or create DVDs? And, and I tell them, I say, we are still reading Leonardo da Vinci sketchbooks from mm-hmm. hundreds of years ago. Oh, absolutely. But good luck playing the DVD you got for your birthday in 2013. Yeah. You know, technology is invalidated often, but uh, I don't think there's ever been a more effective medium for transmitting ideas and stories through time than a book. And so even though it might seem old fashioned, yes, like I think it's important to have something physical um, for uh, transferring stories through generations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, a book, I mean, besides like, obviously physical, you know, whatever can have to it physically, you can't really have an outdated book. Can you could just read it, put it away, put it on your bookshelf, get it again, read it again, you know, it never goes out of date. So you're absolutely right about that. And I always say like the, how, like people like, you know, you say like, how do you judge success as a company? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. How I judge success is I tell people, I say, I judge success by in 75 years when me and the client are long, are, are both long gone. This book is sitting on a great grandchild's coffee table somewhere. Oh, yes. You know? Yes. And I would say, like, you know, we, you talk about your great grandmother, and I would say if your great grandmother had written a memoir or, a, or, or an autobiography and, and sharing all the stories about her life, because you know, obviously, I'm, I'm, I don't know about the relationship with your great grandmother, but I'm sure it sounds oh. like you had a, a close one. We were very close, yes. Yeah. But it's amazing. Like I have a very close relation. My dad passed away, but I'm very close relationship with my mom. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I talk to my mom every day and we talk about our lives and what we have for lunch and this and that. But I don't hear things like, you know, what did she want to be when she was a little girl? Mm -hmm. You know, who is her best friend? What does she like to do? Right. We don't talk about that. And so when you write it out, you actually do talk about those things. And where I was going with this is I would say like if your great grandmother had written a memoir or or an autobiography, it'd probably be one of the most valuable things in your house. Yes. Right? Yes. And so I tell people that's what we're doing. Like you are going to be that creating something that will be the most valuable thing in your great grandkids' house or or whatnot. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. 
that would be like if I had something like that for like even beyond generations beyond that that would be incredible because I'm even like I'm even stuck on my family tree because I do I've been doing my family research for five years now I'm even stuck at like my great great grandparents on like my dad's side like I'm stuck there and I can't go past that because there's no record of like my great grandfather like what he did or where his parents were or anything like that so again if you don't like document it and there's no public documents that information just gets lost to time absolutely yeah no it's um it's it's very true and and I think as um I'm pretty sure the statistic is is real. I'm sure somebody will fact check me, but I've heard that genealogy is the second biggest hobby in the United States after gardening. Really, I uh, did not know that. <laughs> I've I've read that again. I'm sure somebody could fact check me, but I have I I, I did read that, mm-hmm. and and I think it makes sense because um, I think as human beings, we're intensely curious to know where we came from. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. it is it is a fundamental curiosity that we have and that's why i think genealogy is so important mm-hmm. and you know the advent of the internet really i think people have always been curious about that since time immemorial but i really think it was not until the internet that it made it practical and people mm-hmm. like you and me could research our family history without going to some repository of genealogical records somewhere yeah it's just that's a lot <laughs> because I, I, I'm a, I'm a teacher, I'm a high school teacher. So I've been showing a couple of my students how to do genealogy research. And we're actually in the process of starting a genealogy club on campus. Uh, oh, cool. So we're, uh, I'm trying to show the younger generations how to do it and get them interested in it as well, because you, you tend to see older people uh, doing genealogy, you never really see younger people doing it. But like, I'm part of the Gen Z genealogy uh, community on Discord and um, teaching my kids how to do, like, not my kids, I don't have any kids myself, but I have like 80 of them yeah. in my school, um, right. yeah. teaching them yeah. how to do it. And you know, it's just something that needs to be passed down from generation to generation to learn about the generations and generations before that. So I think, you know, having that physical like you said, a book or like, you know, documents and things like that, having them accessible, uh, it is very dire because a lot, like I said, a lot of that information just gets lost to time and you get stuck at brick walls and you get stuck not knowing who people are in your family tree. And that can be very frustrating. That is very frustrating. Yeah. And you know, it's an interesting thing. Um, so we have an archivist that we occasionally work with and the archivist will supplement our stories with information they get off public records, U.S. Mm -hmm. census data, ship manifest, stuff like that. And if you had a great-grandmother or grandfather that immigrated to the United States in the early 20th century, the amount of documentation that we have on them is staggering. Mm -hmm. So if somebody came through Ellis Island in 1905, it's pretty easy to pull up the ship manifest and you can see where that person's name is. You can see where they entered Ellis Island, right? Mm -hmm. Because back in those days, we kept paper records, you know, and, and, and really good paper records. So it's easier to get that documentation from 19, like, like 1912 than Mm -hmm. it is in 2012. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So it just goes back to like the focus on maintaining records, physical copies, um, to enable people to conduct that sort of research Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely you're right yeah it is uh it that physical like i said the physical aspect that's so important the digital is important too but having that physical document 
you know, it's always, uh, it's dire. It's dire for the genealogy community. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so my question for you, because I know you said you work with an archivist. Um, what is your process of researching and curating those family stories and legacies, legacies excuse me, at StorySaver? Yeah, so we have, at first we have a comprehensive consultation with the client where, um, you know, I typically I will conduct those interviews and I find out not only what the story is, so obviously if somebody i want to understand like what what are the what are the major um things that we want to focus on when we tell your story oh you went to the 1982 olympics you started a company and you were the founder and ceo and you built a successful company over 40 years you were a mother you were a father whatever the case might be first we want to understand what the story is and the second thing that we want to understand is why they want to tell it like what is the story behind the story right mm -hmm. Because it's really important. We have some people who their only aspiration, or not their only aspiration, but their aspiration is to share it with their family. Or, you know, or they'll say, you know, like, I want my grandkids to know, you know, not only the inheritance that they're receiving, but all the hard work that I have to put into getting them this right. inheritance, right? And then we have other people who say, no, I have ambitions to be a New York Times bestseller, and we walk into that process. But first thing is consultation, understand the story and why they want to tell it. The next thing we do is pair the client with an appropriate writer. So to stay with the example that I mentioned before, one of the examples I've mentioned before, let's say somebody said, well, I really want to capture when I went to the 1982 Olympics. And I'll say, okay, well, I have a bunch of different writers that I think would be good. One wrote for ESPN, one wrote for Sports Illustrated, and another one wrote for Sporting News. Mm-hmm. So I'll go to those writers and say, hey, here's a story that somebody wants to write. Are you interested in writing it? Let's just say all three of them say yes. I'll then go to the client and I'll say, here are the three writers that I think would be best to capture your story. Um, you know, the, sometimes the client will just say, okay, great. I picked the guy that, the guy or the girl that wrote for ESPN. Mm -hmm. Other times they'll say, you know, I want to have a conversation with them. But, but basically it's like a bespoke process whereby we match the client with a writer that is most suitable to capture their story. Mm -hmm. Then we conduct interviews. Um, we tend to face-to-face, -face, typically it tends to be over the phone or Zoom. Uh, we conduct interviews with sometimes just one person if uh, they want to tell just their own stories. And we've written books where we interviewed 17 family members wow. to write a person's story. Um, and I can get into what that particular book was a little bit later if you would like. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it's about organizing the data, particularly if you, we interview multiple people. It's like, as you might imagine, when you're interviewing a bunch of different people, they're all giving you different perspectives on sometimes the same story. You then have to cobble it together. Um, and sometimes like validate some data. Mm -hmm. And then, um, it's about just writing the story. And that's where, you know, we do have storytelling techniques at StorySaver, just certain things that we always make sure that we want to focus on. But, for the most part, um, all of our writers are professionals, and I kind of leave it. I try not to micromanage. I try to let them tell the story the way that they see most fit. And, mm -hmm. and then we obviously make sure that the client is okay with it as well. Um, after that, we collect, you know, some uh, multimedia elements. So it could be photos. It could, could be, like, archive, um, uh, um, 
documents generated by our archivists. And then we actually format and print the books. So there's a lot of ghostwriting companies out there that, you know, they'll help you write it and then you'll get your PDF or your Word document with the story captured. We actually format the books, print them, and then wow. ship them to clients. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. It kind of cuts out that middleman. You don't really have to go and get it published yourself. You can just have it ready to go all in one well, all in one spot. <laughs> yes, exactly right. It's it's uh it's like one stop shopping for for mm-hmm. writing your life story. Wow, that is incredible. Um why why do you think so you, you collect a lot of stories and uh you tell people's like live life stories and things like that why do you think storytelling is so important to genealogy research in general so i'm a big fan of Brene brown i don't know <laughs> if you're familiar mm-hmm. with Brene brown um but a big fan of Brene brown and she said something that I always really resonated with me and how I think of the interplay between genealogy and writing stories. Mm-hmm. And the quote is, stories are just data with soul. Wow. Right? So, yes. you know, and, and I, I look at genealogy, genealogical research as the data and our stories as the soul. Right? So it adds depth and emotional resonance to genealogical data. I know that this is obviously a podcast about genealogy, Mm -hmm. which is something I'm very interested in. But what interests me more are the stories. Mm -hmm. Like, it's interesting for me to go back, you know, 200 years to see who my great, great, great grandfather was and and what they did. Still much more interesting for me to understand the stories behind it. I also think storytelling, you know, I think it bridges generations um, and and uh, fosters connection between um, mm-hmm. descendants. Absolutely, um, yes. <laughs> you know, it makes things a little bit more relatable when it's you're not just seeing looking at a at a family tree, but you're capturing the stories that go along with it. And I think that. A lot of genealogy and a lot of what I do is about preserving legacy. And I think that the combination of capturing your family tree and genealogical research alongside with capturing the stories that go with the people in that family tree are a really meaningful way to capture legacy. And something I'll say about this that, that might seem a little bit strange for some of my line of work to say, but... Sometimes people say to me, they say, well, who cares about my legacy? No, oh, yeah. Who's, really, who's <laughs> going to really care about, you know, I'm just a regular Joe or a regular Jane. And I always tell people, I say, the reality is that not everyone is going to care about your legacy. That's just a reality. Mm-hmm. You know, my father passed away in 2015. Mm-hmm. And... um he was a wonderful man and a wonderful father, and just I couldn't say enough about him. But the world is not really going to be interested in my dad's story. Right. But I will be intensely interested in my dad's story. My sisters, my mother, my brother, my nieces and nephews will be intensely interested. So, you know, when people are like, oh, legacy or who, you know, who am I? It's like, well, listen, again, in the broader scheme of things, perhaps. It's not relevant, but to your family and your loved ones, 
It certainly is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I will say I do research for other people. And I do get very invested in other people's families oh. for sure. I do like I and then I kind of feel like a part of it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. So I I can see both sides of it. But I could definitely uh, I definitely understand why someone would be so heavily invested in their own bloodline because, you know, other people we, we also get very invested in it as well. And you want to be able to tell those stories and you want to be able to, like, make sure it doesn't just disappear with the sands of time. I mean, it's just something we naturally yeah. want. Yeah. And, you know, like, and it's not to say that people aren't interested, you know, like I said, I, I used to have a blog and, and I was so interested in other people's stories that I would mm-hmm. just approach them blind on the street. So, right. you know, there definitely is a huge interest in the untold stories of others as human beings. We, we love stories. It's really how we digest data and make sense mm-hmm. of the world. But in terms of, you know, some of these, you know, um, deep background information like what somebody's mother wanted to be when or some someone's mother wants to be when she's a little girl stuff like that mm-hmm. maybe not quite as interesting but um but yeah I, I i hear what you're saying it's hard not to become invested particularly you know some of the projects that we work on take months or over a year it's wow. hard to not become invested mm-hmm. um in a in a in a family story when you've been working on it that long. And sometimes we get invited, you know, to, to like parties where they, um, they're going to hand out the book. I have one client that flew me out to Cincinnati to personally hand the book to, um, the widow of a man that we had written about. So, wow. you know, it's, you definitely get invested in this line of work as I'm sure. Oh yes. Yes, it you, is. You, 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 uh feel the same way absolutely i've researched for probably i've been doing this for five almost five years now and i've been i've researched for hundreds of people and it is you know it is uh, so well i do it for free that's why i've done it for hundreds of people because i'm not a professional i just do it for fun um and uh i i love it and you get so invested and you get so like attached like i've been invited to people's family reunions and things like that because of all the research i've done for them and um Mm -hmm. all, all that so um yeah, it is. Uh, it is something we are definitely like all these stories that we're so invested in. They're so important to us. Um, but speaking of those stories, are there any stories that really stand out to you that your company has preserved? Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, I would say, um, you know, one that comes to mind, a pretty, pretty interesting story was um, the life story of a couple husband and wife that had passed away uh mm-hmm. he passed away in 1988 she passed away in 2002 and we interviewed living family members to cobble together a story um and i won't use the couple's names mm-hmm. uh so we'll just call them tom and betty okay that's all right yep but uh you know quite an interesting story so she was from america and he was from Marino, Italy, where he was something of a legend. He saved a drowning kid in a lake. He was wow. actually elected the, uh, elected the mayor of the town. And so they met in Italy and, uh, you know, were, were dating and got married during World War II. And during World War II, he was an avowed fascist and he fought. Wow. For Benito Mussolini and the Axis powers. And he was uh, stationed in Africa. You know, he survived a bout with malaria. Um, you know, yeah, shot, contract malaria, survived. 
And um, after the war, uh, Betty wanted him to move to the United States. And he reluctantly agreed because, you know, he was, again, fought for a an ideology very different than what was in the United States at that time. Right. And so he agreed to come to the U.S., uh, but he was still a fascist. And at the Naples port, where he was taking a boat to the U.S., an American official asked him if he was a fascist. Mm-hmm. And at that time, most people would say, no, I'm not right. a fascist. They want to come to the U.S. But Tom was proud of being a fascist. And so he said, yes, I am a fascist. And the American official looked at him and said, you'll make a great American. Oh, my God. <laughs> and he stamped he stamped Tom's passport. And so he um, eventually came to America and he started a wine business and then had a a radio program about Italian wine. And he went on to create an Italian social club in the Catskills. Um, and it was so, so popular amongst Italian Americans that members of the mafia started to attend it. So Carlo Gambino um, started frequenting the club and, and mm-hmm. the club was suddenly mobbed by FBI agents. Um, after the club, he went on to found the sanitation business. And the interesting element of it that we I walked away with is that although this man was a avowed fascist, he came to love all the opportunity um, and potential that America gave him. Mm-hmm. And you know, in Italy at that time, your ascension was often capped. You know, if your father collected tolls, then you collected tolls. Mm-hmm. But in America, he was given the opportunity to do many things, and he seized many of those opportunities. And went from being a fascist to a capitalist and appreciated what it was like to live in a free country where you had that opportunity. And because mm-hmm. he had passed away in 1988, I mean, it's quite a long time ago at this point. Right. Um, you know, we had to interview family members to cap, to cobble together this story. And the archivists helped us flesh out the family tree. They uncovered his World War II draft card. Um, the ship manifest so we could see where this person's name was on the ship manifest when they came to America. Uh, his petition for naturalization, uh, multiple instances of census data, uh, 30 news articles. Mm-hmm. Um, when he was at the Italian Social Club in the Catskills, he hosted many like heavyweight boxing fights. There's a lot of oh wow um, um, stuff about that. Uh, and then um, an obituary. Uh, that the archivist came. So we cobbled together again all those interviews and all of the information that was publicly available to write a book that mm-hmm. it, that included all that. Um, another um, book that we wrote, uh, which was always was and still is really touching, um, a person's family hired us. So a gentleman, we'll just call him, I'll call him uh, John in this instance. Mm-hmm. John had early onset Alzheimer's and his family wanted his grandchildren to know the man that he was, not the man that the grandchildren knew him as. Right. Because by the time the grandchildren were old enough to speak, John was nonverbal. And so they hired us to tell his life story as told by his closest friends and family. And so we interviewed 17 people. That was one I referenced earlier. Right. 17 people to write his life story. And I always thought about like such a beautiful, a beautiful thing, Megan. Like I often think like if the people that loved me the most wrote my life story, like what would they say? Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of a 
fascinating thing to think about. So we're able to do that. And that is the client who ended up flying me up to Cincinnati to personally hand the book over. So that was another special one. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And then just like a smattering uh, of other stories, we uh, are finalizing a book about a, a Vietnam War refugee who essentially fled to the United States and is now a very successful business owner. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, you know, so a lot of what we do is memoirs, biographies, but we also, you know, are writing a book, a thought leadership book for the CEO of a mm-hmm. company focused on um, helping people improve their digital presence. Mm-hmm. He does a lot of like um, public speeches and wants to have a book to leave behind. And then, um, yeah, we also were just recently commissioned to write an illustrated novel. Um, oh, wow. I don't. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of the book, uh, The Little Prince. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of a classic book also, you know, written in the 1940s. And then a more contemporary book called The Boy, The, the Mole, The Fox, and The Horse. Mm-hmm. So he, the client wanted us to write a book about gratitude, kind of focused on the look and feel of those two books. So we do that mm-hmm. as well. So you know, we've taken a lot of interesting projects, but mostly biographies and memoirs. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's amazing. Well, what about you personally? Do you have any of your own genealogical discoveries from your own family that you feel like serve to be preserved and shared? So um, although I have done conducted some genealogical research on my family, probably not to the extent that you have, Megan, probably not as far back and certainly not as an expert in it. Um, For me, it's really been more about capturing stories, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, so um, I kind of taught touch on this before but um the, the thing that the, the the project that i'm working on right now that's kind of related to that is as i mentioned um you know in 2015 my father my father passed away and he, he was the healthiest 67 year old until he wasn't and right. in 10 months he was uh you know from from the date of his first symptoms to when he passed away was, was 10 months wow and i remember when i was sitting in the hospital with him hospital room with him a few days before he passed away he was telling me stories of his life and I was sort of sitting there kind of fascinated that if I hadn't just randomly sat in the ho- uh, hospital room and asked him these questions and listened to his answers, like the stories would literally be gone forever. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately I did not have the opportunity to interview him before he passed away. Mm-hmm. But um, I am going to, I am working on a book uh, about him as told by his six brothers and sisters. Wow. So like my niece and nephews will um, know about his life and the life that he lived. Uh, Cause all I have five nieces and nephews um, and they all had a relationship with him, but even the oldest one was, you know, was uh, seven or eight when he passed away. Right. Mm-hmm. So want to preserve some of his life. So I would say that that's, that's one of the projects that I'm working on right now that I'm, uh, looking to preserve and i would say the other would be to my mother's my mom is 74 mm-hmm. strong woman we hope she's long around for a lot longer but would love mm-hmm. to do something similar for her now it's not exactly genealogical um but it's sort of my approach on preserving exploring history and preserving legacy through story wow that's amazing though it's so important to capture those stories even like especially when they're still around i mean a lot of people don't have that opportunity yeah. And, you know, I, something I say to a lot of our clients, um, one of the challenges 
of, of running a business like mine is people say, well, they want to write their life story, but they've waited their whole life to do it. So why, what's not, you know, I'm, let's say just say somebody's 75 years old, they want to do it. They've waited 75 years. Why not wait another six months? Why not wait another year? Mm-hmm. And something I often tell people, and I say, listen, I don't mean, I don't want to sound like I'm selling or that I'm fear mongering, but it's never too early to tell your life story, but it can definitely be too late. Oh, yes, absolutely. And there's a good, another good quote about this that says, I don't remember who's, who said it. Um, so I'm failing to give credit for who came up with this quote, but the quote goes, Death steals everything except our stories. And if you're not careful, it can steal those too. Wow. That's, that's very oof. true. Yes, that is right? very true. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it's, I try to encourage people start now. It's never mm-hmm. too early. Right. So that's, see, that leads me into my next question because that's an awesome piece of advice. Um, what other advice would you give to anyone that's like starting their own family history research or preserving their own stories from their own family? Yeah, I would say, um, maybe this is intuitive, but like start start with what you know mm-hmm. and work backwards, right? Um, start with the people that um, are alive and can tell you stories or obviously the genealogical research that you can and, and work backwards. You know, talk to your living relatives, collect family documents where you can. A lot of information on, on um, family documents. Uh, preserve oral histories. So when you're speaking with your grandmother, your grandfather, or whatnot, um, there's a ton of apps there now that allow you to not only record a mm-hmm. conversation with somebody, but it'll, it'll even transcribe it. it. Doesn't always do a great job depending on the app that you use, but can transcribe it. Um, obviously, utilize online genealogy resources and archives. Something of which. I know you said you're not a professional, but it sounds like you, you know what you're doing. So Yeah, I guess. You, you would be much better, more adept at explaining that to the audience. Um, and two other things I would say that are not like process driven, but, you know, be prepared for unexpected twists and turns. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you never know necessarily what you're going to uncover. And sometimes of clients that will say, well, you know, I was, I went through a nasty divorce and I don't really want to talk about that. And I say, for what we do, I said, think of it as like, if you're a grandmother or grandfather, you have your grandkids sitting around, what stories do you want to tell them? You're mm-hmm. going to tell them about the things, your accomplishments, which you're proud of. As human beings, we're all flawed. Right. Um, we don't have to necessarily document that. So it's just like you're sitting as a grandmother or grandfather your grandkids are sitting around, you're not going to tell them about the nasty divorce that you had or mm-hmm. whatnot. Right. So, and, and with our clients, um, you know, we, we focus on exactly what, what people want to talk about, but you know, there are unexpected twists and turns. Right. People have different memories of the same event. Yeah. Memory is a fascinating <laughs> thing, right. Yes. You know, two different people that experience the same thing walk with two completely divergent um, experiences. Yeah. Um, and then just approach the process with curiosity and patience because, you know, it will definitely require both of those things. And, and another thing, Megan, sort of a corollary to this, but, you know, I view myself first and foremost as a writer. Um, and 
for people that are looking, like, what is the process to actually capture their life stories? Um, one thing I say, capture each thought that you have, everything that you uncover. Um, you know, you can walk around with a book, right, and, mm-hmm. and jot down everything or send yourself an email or create notes, but capture each thought. Um, Robert Caro, who's one of my favorite biographers, had a saying where he would say, turn every page. So explore yes. every piece of data you can possibly uncover to help you weave together the narrative. And, you know, if there's you work with an archivist and you uncover 100 pieces of data, look at each one. You'll be shocked at what you uncover when you just turn every page. Um, I also suggest that people, you know, writing a book is a really difficult process. And so write, put it into bite-sized pieces. You know, mm-hmm. write an hour every morning. Don't look at it as, how am I going to write an 80,000-word book? Do an hour a day, and you'll be shocked at how quickly a book will materialize. Mm-hmm. Um I also tell people, like, understand it will be difficult. There is a really good quote by George Orwell where he says, writing a book is a horrible, exhausting struggle, like a long bout with some painful illness. And one would never undertake such a thing if one were not driven on by some demon whom one neither can resist nor understand. You know, so it's a really difficult process. But I tell people, if you are interested in writing your stories, write it yourself because nobody will ever care about it as much as you do. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have the discipline or the skill to do it, hire a professional. I uh, happen to know 74 of them at Story (laughs) Saver. Yeah, of course. (laughs) How's that for a shameless plug? Yeah, Um, (laughs) that's um, fine. I mean, I always always tell people, no, seriously, like they said, why should we hire you? I said, if you're in it, if you'll do it yourself, don't hire me. Absolutely do not hire me. Mm -hmm. But if you won't, and you want to outsource some of that pain and anguish and, and the struggle that George Orwell referenced, then we're happy to help people capture their stories. That's amazing. Well, where can they, if people are interested in finding out more information about Story Saver, where can they go? Sure. So our website is www.storysaver.com. And that's S-T-O-R-Y, which is pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. But the Saver is spelled S-A-V-O-R, mm-hmm. like little double entendre there you're saving the stories and you're savoring them so story saver again s-a-v-o-r.com um you can reach out to me personally i'm uh always available i'm joseph j-o-s-e-p-h at storysaver.com and then we're on all major social media um twitter story saver instagram story saver facebook story saver uh so you can find us in any of those places, but you know, for people interested in exploring writing their own book or just having a conversation about it, sending me an email is a is Perfect. a pretty quick way to get in touch with me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've had a pleasure talking with you today. No, this was this was really nice. Thank you so much for inviting me on, and thank you for all the work you do with genealogy and super important and. Uh, invaluable to society. So, so thank you. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Uh, If you'd like to come onto the podcast, if you have a fascinating story to share or anything like that, you can go ahead and email me at uh, genealogywithmegan at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram and TikTok um, at genealogy explorer. Thank you so much for listening. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.